How many times have you felt like you were singled out because of your relationship status? Unfortunately, we live in a society that equates personal fulfillment to whether or not you have a ring on your finger. Too often, single Christians are viewed as if they're missing out on life because they don't have a romantic interest or that they feel the need to put their lives on hold as they wait for the right partner to come along. Being single was never intended to be seen as a curse. Maybe it's an opportunity to encounter God in incredible ways, embrace the story he's uniquely writing, and live the life you were always meant to live. In this episode of Keep 100, we have an honest conversation on this delicate subject and hear nuggets from Krista's forthcoming book, Singled Out in a Couple's World. Get ready for this exciting episode. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Keep It 100. Hey, everybody. Man, do we have a jam-packed, informative, and interesting time planned for you guys. Get out your hanky, get ready to throw your shoe, get your shout on. This is going to be amazing. You know, since we were with everyone last, we have been to some really amazing places with some incredible people, and we have seen God move. I was at Church 1132, one of our favorite churches, just incredible leaders, Dustin and Jamie Bates, and I got to bring Natalia, our ministry and administrator. And then I got to be Brit, our daughter uh, with us. And we had a girls weekend and we saw God move. So we had so much fun together, but we also just saw the presence of God fall in this church. And they're just really going after God. They're based in Allen, Texas, and they're just killing it for the kingdom. I mean, they're seeing God move so powerfully. So whenever you and I get the opportunity to partner with them, it's always such a privilege. Yes. And Brit said, you brought the word as well as Tao, our assistant in Tao. they said, you preached it. I was in uh, just outside of actually where the 700 Club is filmed back in Virginia. And in fact, one of the pastors of the church is the producer of the 700 Club with Pat Robertson, a good friend of mine. Matt and Lori Stewart is great to be with them at Harvest Assembly. Uh, we did Sunday morning services and then they had kind of a regional bring people in from different churches. And it was an all out blowout service. There were miracles, there were healings, people got saved. Uh, from there, I was in Louisiana. Always loved going in Louisiana. It was fun to be out there at a church in Lake Charles, Glad Tidings. And then this week, we were both at Bethel oh, because we did the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. One day this week, we were with the second and third year. And then the next day, we were with the first year. And it was powerful. It was so powerful. Sean ministered at both services. He just brought such incredible words. And specifically to the first years on Thursday, I saw Sean. It's so cool when you watch your husband, the person that you love, just go to another level with Jesus. And he brought such a depth of the word. The anointing that that got ushered in the room was truly incredible. And both Wednesday and Thursday, they had to push back and postpone the things that were coming right after the classes because the students just had to respond. There was such a sovereign response. I mean, people weeping on Wednesday, that second, third year class, weeping at the altar, just wanting more of God. And then we just saw an outcry again on Thursday with the first years. I mean, it was really, really special. It's just, I think, a profound illustration that if we don't get caught up in the anxiety in this hour and we rather begin to focus with expectancy on the Lord, God will show up. And these kids come from all over the world. Uh, we spoke between the two days, have thousands of, of kids that are at their BSSM. They were hungry. They were at the altar weeping, crying out to God. It was a blessing. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, uh, as 
many of you know, but some of you don't, my boo is coming out with her first book. Yay! Yay. <laughs> it's going to be released the 26th of October this month, and it's entitled Singled Out in a Couple's World. So this week, we wanted to take some time, and we just wanted to enter into a conversation with my wife about her new book, uh, but with the emphasis of how she walked out being single until she was 39 years of age, and yet living a, a very fulfilled, thriving life. But this week on Keep It 100, it's not just about your relationship status, but it's about also what does it mean to go deeper in waiting? Because no matter what season of life you find yourself in, there always seems as if there's some element of waiting and how we walk out the seasons of waiting literally impact our lives. It impacts our destiny. So let's go ahead and dive in. Boo, I'm excited about this particular segment and episode because I know your story, but there are a lot of our listeners that are going to be hearing it for the first time. So why don't you go ahead and just share what it looks like to invite God into your journey of singleness and in the greater backdrop of waiting. I'm really excited to talk about this because I think a lot of us can understand the significance of inviting Jesus into your story, but it often comes after massive disappointment, really, and it often comes from the place of crisis. And that's certainly the place I found myself in. I had a choice of how I was going to respond to a really disappointing situation. My, I'm going to pull it all the way back. I was 19 years old. I was a freshman in college at my university, and I really had a crush on this guy my entire freshman year of college. And in that crush, I was convinced that he was the one. But I came to this place my sophomore year of college thinking this was our year. This is the year it was going to happen, only to learn that over the summer, he had pursued another woman and pursued a girl that actually was living across the hall at the dorm with me. And I remember having this realization because none of my friends wanted to tell me that this had happened over the summer because they knew I'd be very disappointed. And I learned it by just simply watching him come to her door. And I was realizing, oh my gosh, this year is not going to look like the fantasy that I had created in my mind. And I was super disappointed. So I went on a walk and I realized that I had put everything into how good I thought this year was going to be my second year of college, whether this guy and I got together. I had based, I had put everything on this one thing. And I think this is really important for us to understand because when you are waiting for a breakthrough, when you're believing for something, and although my belief and my posture was a bit deceived and immature, I think it's important to pull it back and understand that when you put everything into one thing and you box God in a with a God that was never intended to be boxed, right? And we have to understand that God was wanting to do things a fully different way, but he was wanting to take me on a deeper journey than I was currently walking. And the deep, deeper journey was him becoming my number one and everything else coming after that. Wow. Say, say that again. I think that is so key. Yeah. I think for me, I was in this moment at 19 years old where I realized I had put things, specifically this young man, before God. And God and his kindness and mercy was not answering my prayer because he wanted to take me through the journey of him becoming number one. Because even if God answered the prayer with that young man, because I had made him uh, this idol, which, you know, I think is an interesting conversation within itself of just understanding I put that before my affection and surrender to Jesus. Anything that you put before your affection and surrender to Jesus is an idol, right? And so Jesus was like, can we go deeper? But it was in, it was in a painful way. So at 19 years old, I prayed this prayer that really was the catalyst for what led to kind of the rest of my life and walking out singleness. The prayer at 19 years old was, Jesus, I give me a heart, guard it, shield it, give it back to me when you want me to give it away. A little bit cheesy, I know, but fully sincere, completely authentic. I mean, I meant every single word. I was crying. I came back to 
to that dorm that I had left previously like an hour or two earlier. I had been devastated. I had been totally disappointed. I felt rejected all because of what this young man had pursued someone else, not me. I had that encounter with God on a walk. I promise you the peace of God came in me. And all of a sudden for the first time, I realized, gosh, if I have to prove that I'm worth someone's time, then I don't want them, right? If I mm. have to, if I have to, I actually got like my self-worth back. I got Come my on. self-esteem back. And not that I would have ever described myself as someone that didn't have self-worth or self-esteem, but some way, somehow I had allowed this young man's rejection to make me go, okay, then I'm going to somehow catch his attention, that I'm just going to be good enough, pretty enough, skinny enough, all the things. And it was like, God was like, you are enough, but you have to realize you're enough because first and foremost, I'm yours and you're mine. And that relationship has to be front and center before anything else. So God in his kindness was filling a crack in my foundation. And I think that's really important for listeners to understand God takes you through that healing place of filling cracks in your foundation that sometimes you don't even realize you have. So fast forward from 19 years old, I say that prayer, I enter a space of grace on my singleness. A lot of people ask me, Krista, you're 19 years old. You didn't get married for years. And how'd you do it? I really did walk in a grace, but people have to understand the reality of this scenario. And that is this. When I turned 35 years old, it was truly on my 35th birthday. I blew out the candles and baby, you know the story. When I blew out the candles, it's like I blew out my grace. And it was in that space of experiencing grace from 19 to 35, I knew what grace was. God had covered me. I had felt covered. I had felt veiled. I felt the jealousy, the protection of the Lord. I had experienced his covering, all of those things. Now I'm in a place I'd never been before. I'm 35 years old. There's no options. I'm still believing for a husband. I'm still, you know, contending for that. But that's when God takes me on the journey where he asked me the question, if you never get married, Krista, am I enough? And that is what really shifted from a place of grace. Okay, now, now I'm in like in the nitty gritty with Jesus. Now I'm in the, I'm not experiencing the grace. I don't feel grace on my singleness. I actually am feeling the desperation to want to get married like never before. And God's like, I want you to make a viable choice, a choice fully with eyes wide open, Krista. I want you to feel the depth of your desire. I want you to feel the, the, the depth of your longing to be married. And I want you to answer from that place because right, I think God intentionally removes at times his grace so that when he asks us for the more, we understand fully what we're giving. And God was saying, okay, you've chosen me. You've, you've surrendered, you've walked in a grace and you've, you've chosen to honor me with your life, Kristen. That's beautiful. And that's amazing. And I've honored it, but I'm actually going to ask you to go deeper with me. I'm going to, I'm actually going to ask you, am I enough if you never get married? Am I still a good father? And that was the place where my relationship with God, because I answered yes. And actually, let me tell you the truth of how I really answered that. How I really answered that was after uh, probably a day or so of consideration, because I felt the weight of that question. And I wanted to answer honestly and truthfully and authentically. I said, Jesus, you're not enough, but I need you to become enough because I know that if you're not enough, marriage will never be enough. Nothing will be enough. If Jesus isn't enough, no matter what blessing, no matter what thing I'm waiting for, if he ever gave me that thing you're waiting for, I'm waiting for. If Jesus first and foremost isn't enough, that thing isn't going to be enough. That thing isn't going to satisfy. So then God took me on this additional journey. So when you ask me that question, which is a loaded question, but I love it. What does it look like inviting God into my journey of singleness? It looks like inviting God into the places where there's the grace, but there's also the places where there's not the grace. And it's inviting God to be Lord of your life because this is really an issue of Lordship, right? Whenever you're waiting, you have an opportunity in the midst of the delays to read 
redefine who Jesus is to you. You can either redefine him negatively or you can redefine him more accurately to who he really is. And there's always that opportunity in the midst of inviting God into your journey of waiting. And that was certainly my story. So people hear that statement, is he enough? That is a loaded statement. What does it look like for Jesus to become enough? You know, it is a loaded statement. And for me, for Jesus to become enough, I was brought to the portion of scripture of Abraham and Isaac. You know, Abraham and Isaac is this incredible true story. You know, it's sometimes it's like I remind myself, Krista, these are real stories. (laughs) You know, like we're not just reading like these fictional characters. Like these are lives that were lived out. Here's this man who is given this promised child that's been prophesied over um, Isaac, the son that he's believed for, his wife and him have prayed for, they've contended for. He's now like 13 years old, scholars and theologians, you know, he's like 13 years old, maybe 14. And they have life with him. They do daily life with him. They're enjoying the promise. They're enjoying the, the, the prophetic manifestation of what God has given them. And in that place, God says, okay, now can I have your son? He says, can I have your son? Will you give me your son? Will you sacrifice your son? And what's God doing? He's saying, I've given you my promise. I have fulfilled my prophetic word, but am I still number one, right? Am I still first and foremost in your heart of affection and worship? Because isn't it true? I mean, I think maybe we can all agree with this. It's like, I know for my life, God had to do this work with me of Abraham, Isaac work within me so that when he ultimately, he did give me a marriage, right? He gave me you, my greatest gift. I had to keep it on the altar of the Lord. Why is that so important? Because God becoming enough, he has to become number one. For God to become enough, he has to supersede any promise, any answer to prayer, any breakthrough. Ooh, and it is painful. I Even as I'm saying it, I feel like I could cry because I feel the sacrifice and the emotion of it. So for me, laying down marriage on the altar of the Lord was the beginning of the journey of God becoming enough. And so I shared this in my previous answer. I realized when God asked me at 35 years old, it had become an idol. It had become, even though I was in grace and even though I was in a place of sacrifice from 19 to 35, in those years, it still become a requirement for my happiness. Oh, I want some of my listeners to catch this right now. Listeners, I want you to dial. Sometimes we are making that thing that we're believing for, that thing you're waiting for to become the prerequisite for the full surrender. It's becoming the requirement for the abandonment to Jesus. And Jesus was like, can that idol that you've allowed in your life called marriage, the desire for marriage, can you lay that on the altar? Can you trust me? Can I become good? Can I become enough? Can I still be that good father? Can you give me all of who you are? Can it not be a requirement for you to live all out for me? Can it can it not be uh, that prerequisite that you're saying has to be in place uh, before you fully preach, prophesy, carry, be a carrier of the gospel, Krista? And so my answer was yes, uh, but the Lord w- took me on that journey. And that was not an overnight process. That was a year and a half where I had to grieve it. And some people are confused when I share that they're like, grieve it? Well, when you lay something on the altar of the Lord, right? Abraham had to lay Isaac on the altar. He didn't know if he was going to get his son. Did God provide the sacrifice? Yes, he provided a ram in the thicket. Abraham no longer had to sacrifice Isaac because God provided, but God wanted to see what was in Abraham's heart. And the reason he provided the sacrifice is because he said, and you can read this in scripture, he said, son, I see that you've withheld nothing from me. I see that you have, in a sense, uh, allowed me to be the number one. Nothing has superseded your affection for me. God was saying, Krista, will you lay marriage on the altar? Has anything superseded the number one spot of affection and worship? Not because our God is arrogant, but because he will 
will not share the glory of worship, right? We cannot serve two masters. God saying, am I still your master? And so I was saying, yes, Lord, you're my master. And so whether I get marriage back or not, I worship you. Whether or not I get, I'm able to get married or not, Lord, I praise you. I give you all of who I am. I'm going to live fully for you. And so that was a year and a half journey because I didn't know if I was going to get it back. So I had to grieve it. I had to grieve the idea uh, if I would ever have a family, if my father would ever walk me down the aisle, um, if I was ever going to have that experience. You know, I had to grieve that. And it was real. You know, this wasn't, and the thing about grief and anyone that's grieved anything, loss, and there's been a lot of loss in 2020, 2021. Grief is very familiar right now. It's a, it's a, uh, it's been a frequent friend for a lot of people at this hour. And grief doesn't come in like a pretty package. It collides with one another. There's stages of grief and they collide and they come up at the most inconvenient uh, times. And I went through that for a year and a half. And then it was at the year and a half where God said, um, okay, now I'm going to teach you what it is to be content in your singleness. Now you've reached this place of contentment, you grieved it, but now I want you to contend and contend for that promise. You pray that prayer at 19 years of age, and then we got married at 39. So you waited 20 years, which by the way, I'm so glad you waited. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but what were some of the keys that sustained you in the waiting? Because one of the things we also want to bring out in this episode is that there are a lot of people waiting on different things. That's right. And so what are some of the keys that you learned on waiting? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things in my life. And I don't I don't necessarily have the full explanation as to why this has been my story per se. But I feel like God has allowed me to wait for most things. I haven't been someone that things have moved super quick for. The massive breakthroughs and the promises that I've seen of God in my life have been years in the making, decades in the making. They have not been uh, simple, even easy. And I don't necessarily, like I said, know why. Um, and yet I recognize the character and the root system that's been created in my walk with Jesus has become a place of me going deeper in the waiting, right? Um, and I love that you said that because I think it's so true. Every one of our listeners is waiting for something, right? Every one of us is waiting for that answer prayer. There are places of your life where you're like, I need that to change. I need a breakthrough. Well, I felt the same way. And so some places that really sustained me in my 20 years of waiting, because like Sean said, it was, you know, 19 years old, I said the prayer, 39 years old, I'm going to the altar. You know, I really learned to embrace that veiling. I felt veiled by God. I felt God at times and even years. I mean, I'm not talking like months. I'm talking years, like a decade where I didn't even feel really seen by men. And I knew it had nothing to do with if I was appealing or unappealing or attractive or unattractive, had nothing to do with physical, right? Because we live in a society based so much on the physical and we view people not seeing us or not pursuing us as, oh, we're not pretty enough or, and I'm obviously speaking to women specifically on that. I'm not thin enough. I'm not this enough. And we go through our list of why we're not enough and we make it our problem. When in all actuality, God was like, this has nothing to do with the physical outward appearance, Krista. This has everything to do with what I'm doing internally between you and I. This is a spirit to spirit work that I'm doing within you. It's a deep work. And I felt a veil. I felt a covering of the Lord through my 20s. And it was painful. It was hard because I felt overlooked. I was in, I was a bridesmaid like 13 times through my 20s and my 30s. My. You know, I was, you know, I officiated and I was involved in over 20 weddings. And it was like, okay, God, when's it going to be my turn? And every time God was like, do you trust my veiling? Do you trust the protection of the Lord? Like when I would like someone and they wouldn't like me back or 
when someone would pursue me and I would go to the Lord and he would say, no, you don't have permission to do that. And I would rather than view that as God being mean or rejection, I would say, God, you're protecting me. I feel your holy jealousy. So I think in your waiting, you embrace the veiling. You you embrace sometimes the hidden seasons of God. So many times so we, we live in a world where we think exposure is where it's at. You know, the louder your voice, the greater your impact, the more visibility, the more influence. But actually, sometimes in my life, it's in the hidden places that actually have the greatest impact. It's in the hidden place that God has done the deepest work. It's in the quiet places of veiling that I have felt the Lord actually go after the depths of my heart like never before. So for me, to answer that question, which is a great question, that really sustained me because I didn't struggle with feeling rejected from people. I actually was like, no, God's veiled me. I embraced the veiling. I sought for what it was. It doesn't mean there weren't tears at times. It doesn't mean it wasn't hard at times, but I knew it was God. And when you know it's God, then you know it's worth it. You know it's good because I remember had already surrendered uh, the the requirements. I had already surrendered the conditions. I didn't have any conditions of I'm all in. I didn't have any conditions of this is what I'm required to be happy. No, I was already happy. I was already fulfilled in Jesus. And so I was like, okay, Lord, if this is my story and I know you're the one writing it, then I'm just going to choose to embrace it. And so I think that's huge because I think a lot of people buck the veiling and they buck the hidden seasons, but that's actually where the beauty is. Um, I also really felt the Lord challenging me to focus on what I did have. So gratitude was really important and it's still an important thing, a part of my life. Um, Gratitude really breaks discouragement and gratitude breaks uh, self-pity. And for me, like when I struggle even now, like I'm feeling like, oh, it's a tough day or it's a tough season or I'm not seeing the breakthrough. You'll hear me, baby. I'll be like, okay, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. Like I'll just focus on what I do have because I think you and I can agree like that gratitude breaks discouragement. It breaks that lie of the enemy, you know, because the enemy wants to come in and be like, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. God's not going to come through. And the enemy wants to distort the character of God. But when you rebuttal that and actually destroy that with gratitude, right? And you're like, oh, my God's good. Like my God sees me. He's bail pairs him. He's Lord of the breakthrough. Like one of his names is God who sees me, right? He's my source. He's my refuge. He's my strong tower. And you start going through who God is and you start focusing on, but he's given me this. And you remind yourself of the previous testimonies of God's goodness, faithfulness. That's what we see so much. Um, you know, and then I surrounded myself with a super strong community. I had a great relationship. I had great friends and family that really st- stood with me at amazing church family that believed with me, that didn't shame me for my singleness. Come on, somebody. That's so important is you're having people in your story that aren't shaming you for believing, standing, waiting. <laughs> because I remember my my peace and my contentment frustrated people sometimes, right? That happened, yeah. Right? And so I feel like for me, that was just a really important part. You know, I think you make a great point when you say that you have to focus on what you do have. I think you don't learn how to wait if you don't focus on what you have. Gratitude is a superpower. And I believe we talked about that in one of the earlier episodes. Krista, another thing I kind of am really curious about, and I believe many of our listeners are curious about as well, is what was the purpose in you writing this book? And also, would you tell us where can we get you? Yeah. You know, um, it's available for pre-order on Amazon right now. You just look it up singled out in a couple's world, Krista Smith. It's also this next week going to be available on our website for, again, pre-order. And then October 26th is when the official release date is. So 
right now. It's on Amazon. And I believe it's going to be in other major uh, distributors. I actually have to find out who, where, what. But I know it's on Amazon. I know it's on our website. And it will be available in some other places. But that's really my heart. And I think you nailed it. Um, you know, I want people to have this foundation because you're going to be waiting for something sometime and I feel like so many people are waiting for stuff, but there's not really that blueprint of what's the journey of surrender and the waiting. And I think that's what's so key because it's all about our lives going deeper in Jesus. And that's my intention is to help people go deeper in Jesus. You guys go to our website. Uh, it's going to be listed in the uh, script for this podcast that comes along. If not, if you don't look it up, it's www.seanandkristasmith.com. The book, Single Out in a Couple's World, it is going to be amazing. It's going to be available later this month. Keep It 100 Tribe, as always, we want to give you the Keep It 100 takeaways, and we want to give you three keys to going deeper in your waiting, because really the backdrop of what Krista has been sharing is the fact that she had to wait. And so many people struggle not so much when they face adversity, it's waiting on the victory that seems to cause many people to struggle. Because think about it, nobody likes to wait. We wait in traffic, we wait in Starbucks line, we wait in holding patterns, we wait at Target, we wait to see the doctor, wait for a spouse, wait for a baby, wait for retirement, wait for their sermons to get over, wait for Jesus to return. <laughs> waiting is not just something we have to do while we get what we want. Waiting is the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Let me say that again. Waiting is not just something we have to do while we get what we want. Waiting is the process of becoming what God wants us to be. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. So the first key is stand on what God has said. Whatever it is that God has told you, because before you went into your waiting period, you received something. I know Joseph received a vision that he was going to be ruling and reigning, obviously in submission to God, but he was thrown in the pit by his brothers. He was thrown into a, a prison by a Potiphar because of Potiphar's wife accusation. And the Bible clearly says, and the word of the Lord came to test Joseph. So what it is, is that you've got to stand on what God has given you. That scripture, that prophetic word, what God has shown you, write it down, pray it out loud, stand on it, decree, declare. But the most important thing is keep your heart in agreement with the promise because you have to understand waiting is not a passive thing. Biblical waiting is not passive. You may be waiting on a friend to show up before you go out to dinner, go to coffee. That's passive. But biblically, waiting is not passively standing around waiting for something to happen that will allow us to escape our troubles. Waiting does not mean doing nothing. It's not some sort of fatalistic resignation. It's not some way to evade unpleasant reality. Waiting is in fact posturing yourself as you're believing in agreement that God is going to do the very thing that he said he's going to do. So good. You know, the second key to going deeper in your waiting is to guard your peace and guard your promise. You know, I always talk about if you talk about anything publicly, everyone automatically assumes available for public consumption. So I encourage people when things are close to your heart, when God has prophesied, when there are dreams and desires and things you're believing for, I would be very cautious and even hesitant to put those out for public consumption. And the reason for that is to guard your peace, to guard your promise. People will share their negative experiences 
experiences, their thoughts, opinions. And a lot of times they're not super positive. Uh, they'll fill you with a lot of fear and anxiety. And I just encourage you share the dreams and desires of your heart with people that are covenant, people that are for you, people that are full of faith, maybe even more faith than you, and will stand in a place of promise and stand in a place of believing for God's highest and best for your life. And that guards your peace and it guards your promise. I also encourage people to shut the doors to trigger. So I think social media is a major trigger for a lot of people. I'm going to specifically speak because we're talking about singleness today, but this can be applied to a lot of areas for people that are believing for that person or that spouse, but they've been in a, you know, a little bit of a tricky season of their heart. They're in a place of surrender, but you still have to guard your peace. You know, on social media, everyone's announcing their relationships, their engagements, their wedding pictures, and that can be a real place to trigger. Get off social media, shut the door to triggers. Maybe don't watch Hallmark movies for a season, right? I mean, you just have to like guard your peace. Don't allow the things that are trigger you to spiral emotionally. Uh, Sit in that place of just staying on what God has said, what Sean said. You have to guard that place of the promise of God. And you know, I think also is be really intentional about how you speak over the promises of God in your life. Yes, you can be honest about your process, but I know in my life, you know, it's like when it's not happening, when there's extended amounts of delay, I can find myself wanting to kind of vocalize the negativity. I'm not saying don't be honest. God can handle your honesty, but be be sure you're blessing and not cursing, right? Because your your mouth has an atmosphere, it carries the atmosphere, right? And so it carries an authority. So you want to be speaking life and blessing over your promise. These are key points to implement that. Again, just kind of quick review. Number one, stand on what God has said. Number two, you got to guard your peace and guard your promise. And the third thing I would say is in all things worship. But let me break that down. What does it really mean to wait on the Lord? I believe it's another way of saying we trust God. The struggle in waiting is it's a war over who are you going to trust. You're going to trust your circumstance. You're going to trust what your friend says. You're going to trust your feelings. What in that point will be the ultimate thing that you will rely on? And the ultimate one we should rely on should be the one who has the most power. So waiting really is trusting him as Lord in heaven on earth, who's in control of everything to bring about what he's promised. And so what you do when you understand that is you worship. In things that you understand you worship, in things you don't understand you worship. In the waiting, worship God. Through the delays, worship God. The bottom line is keep your heart postured in a place of worship because worship not only is warfare. The devil hates worship. He used to be in charge of it when he was the anointed cherub, Lucifer in heaven. He got booted out of heaven. So worship is a reminder of the place he fell from. So he hates worship. And so you need to worship to make sure you're getting him out of the picture and the negative attitude, the atmosphere that the enemy wants to bring. But also the Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So as you worship in the waiting, waiting doesn't mean God isn't there. That's the thing you have to understand. You can wait with the Lord. You're not waiting. You may be waiting on the Lord to bring about what he promised, but you're not waiting alone. He's with you. And worship reminds you got someone else in the room. And so I, I know what it's like. I'm sure some of our listeners, you've been in a waiting room before where it feels like you're all alone. Well, God makes sure that you don't have to wait in the waiting room alone. This episode is, I believe, so key in so many areas because the waiting component is so key. But in addition to that, I believe there are a lot of people right now who are in a midst of a relational wait, a relational pause, a pause and a promise. And I believe that what my wife has shared her story, it will really bless and help you. And the most important thing is to be encouraged in the midst of your process because no one else's process is going to look like your process. God is going to uniquely process 
you. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe. Make sure to join us next episode as we continue this talk about singled out in a couple's world. Krista is going to have a very special mystery guest also, as well as she's going to unpack more truths on her upcoming book. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it